for joining me in another episode of Missing the Point with Miles David. I am your host, of course, Miles David. Thank you for lending me your ears. I am not going to hold you too long on this intro to this episode because me and my good friend, Najee Jahan, <laughs> I just got to say his name because he has such a lovely name and I just like saying it. Me and my good friend are talking all things French Open 2020. Yes, yes, you heard me. French Open 2020 in September. <laughs> things are wackier than ever. And we just finished one Grand Slam tournament. And now we're on to another one in what seems like a matter of days. So I am semi-exhausted, not from watching tennis well a little bit is I'm a little tennis exhausted because sometimes it can be like tennis overload now that I have a podcast and feel responsible to give you guys content about the best sport in the world I'm a little tired because me and Najee talked we talked like we normally talk on the phone via text via twitter we just we ran it simple as that and I don't want to hold you so in order to keep things going and I hold you for hours and hours on this podcast I just want you to do me a couple things if you are listening to this on Apple Music Spotify Stitcher Google Podcasts iHeartRadio whatever you listen to podcasts or wherever you download your podcast at please subscribe rate and review the podcast if you can it helps me and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at missing point pod that's m-i-s-s-i-n-g p-o-i-n-t-p-o-d we can have great interaction you can let me know what you liked about this past week's episode what you would like to see more of all that fun stuff i'm an open book on all of those platforms for the most part i think (laughs) so without further ado i am literally just going to have us jump into the conversation that me and Najee had Najee is a wonderful dear friend of mine for the past couple years and he gets tennis the way I get tennis for the most part and we just have a whole bunch of fun and I'm glad that you guys can tag along in the conversation and I hope you enjoy it so I will see you guys on the other side of the conversation to wrap up this episode and tell you guys what to expect on the next one so enjoy well first I have to say congrats to you on this Great show. I've listened to this will be episode five, right? You've had four, right? Oh yeah, it will be episode five. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> subscribe. I gave you five stars the other day on Apple Music just for the record. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. This yes. that's like the third compliment I've gotten today about the podcast. So I, I appreciate that for real. You are very welcome. This is, you know, the, the most powerful thing we have is our voice. So no matter how you do Right. You know, let anybody <laughs> you. you have a right to be heard. So you're right. We got talk. these voice boxes. Everybody else can say they bullshit. So why can't I? Talk your shit. It ain't <laughs> it's the beauty of having your own plot. You can literally say whatever you want. Like mm-hmm. I can say what I want. Mm-hmm. Bitch, I can, don't what did Megan the Stallion say? Talk your shit, bite your lip. I can do all of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, I forgot. I didn't I didn't let the people or the listeners know how we know each other, where we've like, where our friendship has started or the origins of that friendship. So. Cause we were talking about me being uh, 27 and yes. dealing with some knee issues in tennis. And I was like, wow, I'm 27 tennis. I've been knowing, I've been knowing you since at least 2016, maybe even 2015, honestly. 
because that's right around the time I felt I started getting comfortable tweeting about tennis for real, for real. And you were one of the first people I really followed that I could consistently see on my timeline on Twitter that talked about Twitter and you were black and a guy. And that those, that little combination right there just isn't (laughs) in the sport of tennis. That combination is just not that all that popular. Unfortunately, it's still a predominantly white watched sport white viewed sport white talked about sport so when i saw when i saw you i was just like okay and then like you know the tweets lined up to what i like about tennis you talked about my faves we had faves in common so it kind of just worked you know i felt the same way when i first had well i think i got twitter in like 2009 2010 i was yeah they, I had this course where we got like five bonus points. The only reason I did it literally was just, okay, I can tweet about this and I'll get my little five points, you know, but it's some bullshit. Mm-hmm. But then um, I never used it after that. Um, maybe around 2011 to 2012. You know, when I really got into Twitter was the 2011 US Open, that final that Serena played with Sam mm-hmm. Stozer. Um, that just because it was so polarizing, you know, and this was the first time that there was a platform available, I think, when a polarizing event like that happened. You're right. Like the timing of that was one of the first events, the first sporting events that Serena was a part of that was that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That was the first event in her career that happened during a time where people could like talk about it in mass and it kind of go viral, so to sense, so to speak that was that dramatic right. in her career, basically. Because she had had dramatic moments, but the, the timing of mm-hmm. them hadn't been around when social media was either close to its peak or where it is right now, you know? I just, from there, I saw, like, to the point you made, I started seeing other Black men who, <laughs> who <laughs> came to be, you know, friends and family, but it was, like, mm-hmm. a beautiful thing because... At least where I grew up, I grew up around, you know, mostly white people, but uh, people weren't, even them, they weren't, tennis wasn't a sport that was talked about, that was really played. Nobody really knew anything about it, at least where I was at. So when I saw other people who who knew something beyond the realm of Venus and Serena, it was very <laughs> refreshing, you know? Very pleasing so, for me and my homegirls. So it was nice to see just a full broad conversation. And yeah, so from there, I've never seen your face because I do remember like, I think I remember seeing you more around the time of Serena's calendar slam-ish, that whole traumatic year of 2015. <laughs> yeah, so I, remember, I think if I think about 2015 as regards to me tweeting about Serena, I'm pretty sure if I go back and look at my tweets in August when she lost to Vinci, I'm sure <laughs> they might not have all been the best thoughts in the world, but a lot was happening. I was having a lot of emotions. <laughs> but that's when I remember seeing you. And then from there, we have just blossomed every year. You know, <laughs> we just, I feel like just I get you. Like, you know, I really feel like I understand you. And I we see, see each other. Feels like I've known you much longer than that, though, when I'm just talking about it. But yeah, life um, has a funny way of doing that. Life just just keeps on life in and we keep on living and then you look up and you're like wait I've, this person has been in my life for upwards of four or five years you know like <laughs> that's that's a that's a decent chunk of time for anything or anyone or any any event to take place so speaking of twitter and the french open actually 
the people that I follow on Twitter, like via the podcast that are pretty much all tennis heads, they are not very excited from what I, from what I, from, from the question that I pose to them, they're not very excited for the French open. And I feel like the French open doesn't get the excitement that the other grand slams get because I was just, this just dawned on me. Well, one, it's because it's played on clay and from America, like we are both, we were both born in America. Like we're Americans from that standpoint, we didn't grow up seeing it. So it's something I wouldn't say it looks foreign, but it's a surface that you can't actually connect with an experience because most Americans have not played or don't play exclusively on red clay or didn't grow up on it or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. and on top of that, when you put, when you put this little nugget of information on the top of it, I don't think ESPN, which is like the massive sports viewing network of their entire world, I don't think ESPN has covered the French Open since 2009. I don't think they've touched it since for literally over a decade. All of all of the French Open and and most of the clay court tournaments, the red clay court tournaments that the French court is is the French court. Most of the red clay tournaments like the French Open throughout that swing of the year are not televised by ESPN. They're televised exclusively through the tennis channel, which is something that you have to add additionally to your cable package for, or do a yearly subscription package to get what they call Tennis Channel Plus. So you can see all of the different courts as they're playing matches. So it's like, as a viewer, it makes it hard to kind of get up for something. If you have Tennis Channel, I'm, I'm sure your perspective on this might be skewed if you were somebody that just always had tennis channel because either your parents kept it in the package or you as an adult, you know, keep it in something in rotation. But mm-hmm. if you if if you basically go straight to ESPN like you can for the other three slams, which are always gonna be on ESPN and have been since 2010 <laughs> uh or for over a decade, you can just kind of see tennis at least four times a year and it kind of degrades or downgrades the experience of this tournament when in essence it's one of the four biggest tournaments you can win in the entire sport so it's weird for me to kind of get that connection to it in a way because i've been watching it since i think the first french open i watched from basically like wall to wall first ball to championship was 2007 and two years after that espn was like nah we're not having this no more and then ever since then it's just been tennis channel tennis channel i might be wrong about that timing but it feels like 2010 was the year that tennis channel took over that tournament and then espn espn signed the grand slams i think that's that right i need to i I should probably fact check that but i'm as long as i as long as i've watched the sport that's what it feels like (laughs) so yeah they around that time, somewhere in that year, you know, time frame, they did lose everything you said. They lost the rights, and then you know, I think clay court tennis is an acquired taste for many. Um, well, to be fair, most people don't have the attention span to sit and watch 20 30 ball rallies on Man. every show. and that's, that's just, really what it is. Yeah, not to and say that, that people's attention span is a not to say that a short attention span is bad it's just a thing my attention span is not set up to where i can watch upwards of 20 shot rallies almost 200 times because a, a long match is going to have 200 points at least played in it you know, sometimes double that if it's a five set men's 
match. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and the way you have to like play the points on the court, you can't quick points can happen, but it's just not a surface that's set up for it, like a grass or hard court. It's just not. Right. And I think, you know, it's just, I mean, I, to this day, I've been following tennis for 20 years now. I have never sat and watched a five-set match on any surface from start to finish, ever. I've ducked, like, peeped in and peeped out of them, but never sat down and was like, I'm just going to sit here and watch this first ball to last. Like, Doing it for a three-set match, though, right? Of course, because that's three sets. You know, it's... it's, it's You're going to be there for at least three hours, maybe three and a half. Oh, <laughs> Usually. You go, it's going to wrap up. Like, you just feel like... Okay, yeah, it's going to wrap up. It's going to wrap up in a, in a healthy... Like, it's almost like a movie, basically, because a good movie... I can tune into a movie for a good two and a half hours. Usually when you go to the movie theater, the experience is about an hour and a half to two hours and a half, usually, depending on what you're watching. Right. But a good movie is going to be two hours, so a good three-set match is like watching a little movie for itself. And five sets is just like watching the Titanic, the, but the, slow. Yeah. <laughs> Back when they had the two VHS tapes, right? This tape one yeah. is <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's just not... Appealing. Not that I not that I think well, I guess I should stand in it. I do think faster paced tennis is more entertaining. I I do think like creating the point is a good thing. Like the the ability to be tactical on the on the court is a great skill, but just on clay courts, it it's exacerbated. But I don't wanna I don't wanna drag the tournament. Because it is one of the four biggest tournaments you can win in the entire sport. So I'm going to try to do it justice and hope and pray that I am in for a good experience this go around in 2020. Even though it's the middle of a pandemic, (laughs) even though they're going to only have 1,000 fans. From what I've researched and read, they're only going to have 1,000 fans. And I think that's only on the main court that they play on which is Philippe Chatrade, basically their center court, or their version of Arthur Ashe Stadium. Okay. <laughs> this, and you know what's crazy? That fact actually changed maybe a couple days ago. We are recording this on Saturday, September 26th. The event starts literally in a couple hours, Paris, uh, Paris time. So I'm going to be working my, my little tail off to edit this and get it up. <laughs> but yes, we need to get into it. <laughs> we need to get into it. You're right. Did you? So you looked at the draw, of course. I'm sure. Yes, you have. Let's start off the 2020 French Open preview by talking about the men, because I think there is not as much to talk about. We can kind of breeze through that, and then get on to the women, where the real entertainment is. Sorry, sorry that it has to be that way. I don't bash men's tennis. It's just at this current juncture of how things are playing out. Men's tennis does not have, in my perspective, the appeal that women's tennis has at the moment. But that, you know, that may change. No, the ladies are definitely carrying this, <laughs> no doubt about it. From from my perspective, right, it is. Well, especially in the absence of a Rafa, Roger, you know, it was especially noticeable at the Open with only Novak being there. It's like. Ooh. Okay, you know. Yeah, the US Open that just passed, it, it, mm-hmm. the men's draw didn't have the appeal that it had because it was missing Rafael Nadal. You know, we t- there's there's good players and then there's just stars. You know, there's a lot of good players on both tours, but there's very few stars. Very few stars. That's actually a very good way to put it. 
um, because there's no person on the men's side besides Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, and Rafael Nadal that kind of have an aura of transcending the sport or they haven't done anything yet that makes them stamped approved this is a professional tennis player that i want to watch you know right at the very least there are more women spread out on a draw that have grand slam titles to their name and in tennis once you kind of picked up one well once you've picked up one of those eyes go to your name when a draw is kind of made out so definitely men they really for the past 15 almost 20 years our names or our eyes have been looking at the first three names or three names only i should say (laughs) for the most part give or take a couple there's been three names to look at when you look at a tennis draw whereas in women's tennis there's a solid 10 (laughs) for sure that you can look at and be like oh you know she might do her thing but for the men the top seeds are the most marquee players that I think that are playing the tournament because there are some players that are not playing the French Open. One of them on the men's side is Roger Federer. It's not because of uh, concerns about COVID-19. If you've been listening to the podcast, uh, I think I've dropped some seeds or said something about Roger Federer. He's been out for most of the year with a knee injury and he will not be playing this tournament as well. So he'll pick up his season in 2021, you know, considering that (laughs) that's a feasible thing to do with everything going on right now with the pandemic. But the men's marquee players are Rafael Nadal. He's won the tournament 12 times in most people's opinions. Even if you don't watch or like clay court tennis, he is the best clay court tennis player that has probably ever lived. And he's won the biggest clay court title that there is to win 12 times. (laughs) Just on paper, you can't, You can't look past him and you definitely can't say he's not a marquee player because he is. And then in addition to Rafael Nadal, who's the number two seed, the number one seed is Novak Djokovic, who has won here before in 2016. So he's only won here once, but he's been in a couple finals. He's the number one seed and he actually has not lost a match that he's played from beginning to end this year. Even throughout like the pandemic break, he has not lost a match. The only thing that happened to like mess up his record is the default in New York that everybody's seen and been talked about and documented very heavily on. So he has a good chance in this tournament, I think, of raising it, raising the trophy once again. Only thing that probably would stop him is either Rafael Nadal or <laughs> something along the lines of what happened in New York. Not that I want that, yeah. not, not that I want that to happen. Right. But it seems just based off of yeah. results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes something that severe to stop him, you know? I, yeah, definitely. Um, for the men, you know, first of all, this is a Roger Federer stand account right here. So I have to <laughs> we'll see you in 2021, baby. We know, you know, spend some time with them boys, all them kids you got and your wife. Enjoy. Back, Rafa. I mean, this is, look. When it comes to Clay, it's Rafael Nadal, whether you like it or not. And that's pretty much the only name. If he decides to lose, then you will have a chance. If he decides not to lose, congratulations, you lost. Like, <laughs> there's nothing else. There's pretty much nothing else to say. He really he is the man. He's the man to beat until he's not the man in the tournament anymore, basically. And, you know, Rafa, to, to, to beat Rafa Nadal on the course of five sets on a clay court, that is a task. That is just 
two, you know, these wrong matches, you know, those things, three sets. Okay, okay. But five sets, mm, I just, I, I don't know. I don't, I, even definitely going to feel he's still a heavy favorite over Novak for me. Yeah. For me, it's for me. The only times I've seen Rafael Nadal lose, which he's he's lost a match twice at this entire tournament. Once was in 2009 to Robin Soderling, which was a massive upset, and the second time was in 2015 against Novak Djokovic. But he was definitely under form in 2015, so that one felt like a little bit not to say not to say that I expected him to lose, but that one was tolerable because his form coming in was not the same and his injuries were, were like on the table and being questionable. So that one was, was just, you know, it was a loss for him. So he has not lost any time that he has played the tournament since 2015, which <laughs> the odds are in his favor. If he wins again, no one's going to be surprised if he loses. Speaking of if he loses, there are two other players well, the two other players that can kind of feel like they have a shot or a puncher's chance to go out there are Dominic Team and Alexander Zverev, who just reached the 2020 U.S. Open final two weeks ago. So I think they come in with some confidence because in terms of confidence, that's really all I looked at when it came to possibly projecting who would go or who would win in the draw setup. Because, like, once they revealed the draw, I was like, okay, who has been playing the most? Because really, like, realistically, they took a six-month break off of tennis, and they've only been playing for, like, a month and some change now. So it really is not just about what you've done in the past. It's about who has the match play under their belt, who basically has their engine revved up the most to perform. And Rafael Nadal has only played two matches on clay since well not not even on clay he's only played two matches period since march of this year he won two matches at the italian open he got to the quarterfinals he lost to diego schwartzman who also is probably going to be somebody to look out for he's not a grand slam champion but his little short self is capable of playing and beating Rafael nadal on clay which is not an easy task no matter where whether it's three sets or five sets it's difficult Right. It's just going to be interesting. There aren't too many other notes that I had from the men's side <laughs> besides those players. You know, honestly, if this was like the Australian Open, okay, but I mean, this is Rafa's like this is Rafa's yard, and he's allowing y'all a few days to play in it. Like, so just it's Rafa. I mean, if he loses before the final, it'll be shocking, but not necessarily shocking to the point where I'm just like, wow, like. Because 2020 has already been <laughs> doing this thing enough. And I think we all are, for multiple reasons, not just for tennis, we are all <laughs> kind of, I don't know, what's the word or what's the phrase? We're accustomed to the madness at this point. <laughs> so if Rafael Nadal loses at the French Open, it's just going to be another drop in the bucket of what 2020 has had to offer us I think in tennis and outside of tennis. <laughs> that would pretty much just sum it up, really. But yeah, it would really be like, okay, well, Crazier things literally have happened this year, so we can just file it under the crazy. <laughs> yes, but I, Jahan, am picking Rafael Nadal to rack up yet another Roland Garros trophy. Even though it is Rafael Nadal's tournament to lose, just based off of the numbers and what we know of him as a player, who else do you think 
has a fighting chance. And usually I try to, cause I, I hate when I've done like tennis draws in the past, mm-hmm. it's really hard for me to go from 128 down to one. Mm-hmm. I like going from 128 to eight and it just sounds better. So who would you, and then eight basically is the amount of people that are left when most of the dust has settled. <laughs> right. The quarterfinalists. So, right. Right. Quarterfinalists. A quarterfinalist at a major is nothing to be ashamed of. A lot of tennis players, whether they play recreationally or they play professionally, they will nod their head at somebody that has made a quarterfinal of a major because it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a thing. You were almost there. So who would you choose or who, when you looked at the draw, who did you see making the quarterfinals or who would be your eight men to make a deep run at Roland Garros this year. Okay. Obviously, in, including the people that we, yeah, including the people that we just talked about, who would you put in your eight or quarterfinalists? So, you know, we st- top two, of course, Rafa and um, Novak, or rather Novak and Rafa, excuse me, don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> those two. Um, I think theme, your team has been, obviously, on cloud nine, play tough last year. He's been arguably the second best play quarter in the, you know. So I think that understands how to win. It's just a matter of racking him up, you know, and going for it. So um, I definitely can see him there. Zverev is really interesting. You know, I've he's gotten a lot of flack for his lack of work ethic, you know, just kind of, you know, it's been a little, from what I've seen, if I recall, um, some of his former coaches have just said that he can be a little bit difficult to work with. But um, I think that Grand Slam final was humbling. You know, I know he was up a break in the fifth and I think a couple points away, maybe two points. Um, and From that- winning that minute, yeah, he could have easily been the U.S. Open champion and not Dominic team. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. But um, I'll tell you, even though at the lo- – if you, anybody who plays tennis, and I believe this, whether you play, you know, league, locally, professionally – you know, there's always this one, there's a match or there's a moment that you just can't, like when you're done, you're like, I cannot believe I just won this match, you know, or you just, it's just unbelievable. Like you just can't believe you won it. Or on the flip side, you've had that one where it's like, how on earth did I lose this match? And with him, I think it was the best of both worlds to say, Mm. I'm talented, I can get here, but I still have just a little bit more work to do. And his- because a seasoned, not not to say that he's not good, but a tennis player that basically was playing at their best in all capacities, mentally, physically, emotionally, they were just ready to win that match, would have won that match. Right. Given the chances he had to win it, basically. A complete tennis player would have won that match nine times out of ten, and he didn't really grasp it, even though it was there to grasp. D- Dominic team showed grit to be able to hang around in the conversation. Him hanging around in the conversation is kind of how he plays in a way. He's very powerful, but his power can like knock the other person's racket out of their hand. And then also he has the ability to kind of just stand back there and make balls and make them make the balls not like powder puff easy to hit, but neutralize the point. And I think that's what got him through that match. And I think that's what's going to make him difficult to beat with the new confidence he has now from winning that match and that grand slam on clay because he's made the finals of this tournament in 2000 and 
2018 and 2019. So he's a two-time finalist, losing to Nadal both times. Third time might be lucky for him. We will see. Zverev has made a quarterfinal at the at the French Open before. He has. Yeah, and you know, you 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 mature, and now this is where I look for him for at least for Zverev. I'm looking for. Now there's you get to this point where there's just there needs to be a business portion of your tournament where you're just rolling through. You know, you're just confident, you're playing well, and you're closing out matches. And that's what I'm going to be looking for for him. Just convincing wins. I know the game is tough, so I'm not saying you know triple. Yeah, but I'm saying the players you like. Yeah, players, you can't be beating yeah. people up every single round because tennis. You got to stripe up the shoes. You got to yeah. stripe up the. Shoes. You got to you got to put the shoes on and swing your racket. So. I definitely feel you. Right. The players you're supposed to handle, you just want to handle them efficiently so that when it's time to play Rafa, you can run for eight hours, you know? <laughs> who eight hours of tennis, Lord have mercy. Um, play so who else, would, tennis, who, else would you, who else would you kind of put on your advisory board of people that you wouldn't be shocked to win Roland Garros or the remaining quarterfinalists, I should say? Um, so, with this, okay. Because the men's draw, you know, is a little iffy for me. But with respect mm-hmm. from what I... I'm looking at it right now, and I'm just like, this is not entertaining. Right. Like, I'm literally... Um, like, okay. <laughs> um, okay, I am a sentimental fan. I, Gail Monfils, I still believe he... <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly believe he is an athlete. He's the best athlete in the game, period. And we can... we. I'm willing to argue about that. That is a firm no. belief. He has all the skills and honestly and I, I believe this as crazy as it sounds this relationship he has with Alina Silvina excuse me Spit Tolina has t- she is super disciplined and I feel like it's rubbed off of him because when last year and he just felt like he wasn't he was so much more consistent again like we were just talking about it was very winning the matches that you're supposed to win I feel like he was doing that but he's still, you know, these mental blocks that he has against these big guys. Well, he has a pretty decent record against Roger, I think. But um, he's beaten him a handful of times. Novak, I don't know if he's ever beaten Novak. I, I, he hasn't. But speaking to your point about Gael Monfi, and I'm glad you brought him up because honestly, and it might just be a symptom of the pandemic, I forgot about him, but I shouldn't have because when the pandemic happened, he had literally played the match of his career in Dubai, like a second tier tournament. Well, I shouldn't say that. He had played the match of his life in Dubai against Novak Djokovic and was the closest to beating him pre-pandemic. And he had also picked up two titles, I believe. Uh, he, he picked up two titles before the pandemic just really happened. And had the pandemic, had this break not happened and the French Open been played when it was supposed to be played, we might be talking about him winning the French Open or having at least a chance to be in the conversation. Because he would have been, had he continued playing like he was playing, he probably would have got his ranking higher and had, you know, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of what ifs for that to happen. But I'm glad you brought him up because I really had not thought about him as a factor in this tournament, just based off of the last week or form. Because I don't think he, he didn't do well in Rome and he didn't play in the New York or American tournaments at all. Right. So he should be, I just feel like, I mean, you at home, you well-rested. And this is, it's interesting because this year, you know, this is it for, I think this is pretty much it for a lot of people. I'm not, I think there are a few other smaller tournaments, but as far as like big guns, this is it. So 
Oh wait, uh, when you said this was it, I don't know why I thought about Gael, uh, Gael retiring. I was like, wait, you think he's gonna retire after this year? Cause he's, but he is in his thirties, isn't he? Yeah, ain't he like 31? 30, 31, 32, something like that. In his thirties, yeah. Yeah, he opens up his Roland Garros. We got, oh wow. He opens up his Roland Garros with Alexander Bublik, who if you put his name in YouTube, if you put his name into YouTube, you're going to see something you don't ordinarily see in tennis, which is a underhanded first serve. And oh, wow. you, should probably pause, you should probably pause this and go watch that so you can have scope as to what that match might look like. Because he literally just did an underarm serve in the tournament in Hamburg that they're not even finished playing right now as we record this. The, the winner of that tournament will be decided on Sunday and the French Open starts on Sunday. So there's like a, a little bit of lag between mm -hmm. the tournaments basically i didn't know so he's predominantly serving underhand for his no, no 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 <laughs> not predominantly he doesn't do it predominantly he just does it he he works it into the uh okay. arsenal like and players did. are really feeling that like like hingis did years back basically but he does it in more than one just occasion and that's who that's who he plays. That's that's who Monfi plays in the first round. And Monfi is on the same half of the draw as Novak Djokovic and in the same quarter as Dominic Team. So that's that is hmm. it's not the worst draw in the world because he definitely could have Rafael Nadal. Right. But his little like his little section, the highest seed next to him is Taylor Fritz, who's never even gotten to the fourth round of a major. So if if Gael can really if he can find what he was playing with before the pandemic, we will see. We will see for sure. I'm glad you brought him up because I really had not paid him any attention. He is the number eight seed in the tournament. So <laughs> I really kind of low-key forgotten. He's not in a bad section. So thank you for that. Is there any other man that you had looked at the draw and been like, okay, I, I can see you in maybe not win, but I can see you doing some stuff. Damonar from Australia. He'll be in Zverev's third round. That'll be interesting. He's played a lot of good tennis. I'm not quite sure what his clay court repertoire is, but I know that he's a fighter, and that just that in itself, you know. Will... And he got to the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. Is the highest seed in the draw next to him? Like you said, yeah, it's Zverev. That might be, that would be interesting. That would possibly be a. A third round match, yeah, right, and that could... that would be interesting. I would like to see it. I mean, I probably, I probably, I, mean, <laughs> I probably won't watch it if it goes five sets. But you know, interesting, maybe ish. Right, and then we have to talk about um, Ravinka Mary first round. Wow. Oh yeah, we didn't we didn't touch on the first round matches that you should probably be watching. Usually, the tournaments start on a Monday, and in Paris, it's already Monday. So it's starting as we speak. Well, not as we speak, but it is about to happen in a couple of hours. I think I saw on the Roman Girls Facebook page, they was practicing together the other day. I'm like, see how that works? Practice them. You know, that's so crazy. They're, it's a little bit of a romantic tennis story in a way. Not that they're in a romantic situation, but they are really decent friends from, you know, outside looking and they look like they get along well. They have a bro. And for sure. They have, you know what? They have a bromance for sure. And it's funny because their bromance has produced 
outside of Novak Djokovic, outside of Rafael Nadal, and outside of Roger Federer, they are the only ones that have multiple major wins in the past 15 years. They're definitely Hall of Famers. And the last time that they played on clay was this very same tournament, but in the semifinals in 2017. So they played together, and both of them credit that match as matches that basically hindered their body from doing anything further or like having to take a break away from the sport because they haven't been in the later stuff. Those two haven't been in the the later stages of tournaments basically since then. Um, So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Hopefully it is like a classic one, but my fingers aren't crossed because I hate that even they even have to play in the first round. And part of me feels like it's rigged. And part of me feels like the French Open is doing that so people can watch their tournament or whatever. I just, <laughs> and I always feel like these tournaments do stuff like that, especially in the first rounds. But they they do their best to their, they do the best they can to their power to do things to the draw to where it works out for them because they have the power to do it. I don't care what anybody says. I don't think it's just like, I don't think tennis is just this super duper rigged sport and every draw is rigged, but I do think that the powers that be have, you know, the ability to put things where they want to put them before it is released, you know? I have had my own things about these draws, man. You know, I've I've had some, I just, I have some strong beliefs that I feel as though they have been manipulated at times. Um, But things like this, like you say, they really are just unfortunate, especially because in a year where we didn't, you don't, we haven't really gotten many marquee matchups because there's been so few matches to have. You know, you would want to hopefully see those people in the second week, but you know, the draw can be cruel. So, if you know how, whether it's real or not, <laughs> it could be cruel. So, um, whether it is whether the names are actually drawn out of a hat and just put there <laughs> or not, it is. It'll be interesting to see. I'm trying to think, are there any other first round matches that I like? Oh, you know, they might be interesting to watch. We also- as I look at this, as I look at the draw, like right now, I, I, I think his name jumped out to me for a reason. His name is Dominic Kopfer. He represents Germany and he plays for the German flag. However, he has USA Roots. He was a college tennis player for the University of Tulane in New Orleans, and he did all four years there. And he actually made the quarterfinals of the Italian Open in Rome last week, and he took a set off of Novak Djokovic. So he's doing. He's he has he has the ball rolling a little bit. And I, so my eye is out on him. I mean, I'm from Louisiana, so when I saw that he played four years at Tulane, I was like, oh, my heart. He's and he plays left-handed. So, you know, he is in the section of the draw that Malfi is in as well. So we shall see. Wait, hold on. A sleeper pick, just the one. Hold on. Match. He gets the winner of Andy Murray, Stan Wawrinka. If he wins his first round match, if Dominic wins his first round match, he gets the the winner of Stan Wawrinka and Murray. That's why I was looking at him. So that's that's bad luck in a way. But the way he's been playing. They got to be on their toes because he could. The way he's been playing, what I've been watching from him, he can play, especially on clay. I don't know how. <laughs> Maybe it's the left-handed thing because he definitely did four years in Tulane, but also he's from Germany, so I'm sure before he got to Tulane, he had been playing on the clay before. So 
he might cause an upset or two or three. We'll see. Oh wow, he's also in the section of the draw that has Felix or Felix Algialiasin. That's a that's a little section right there. A little to definitely tricky Felix is um you know an athlete. You just gotta look out for him. But he's 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 doing the right things. He's on, he's on the right path. It's a it's a steady rise, you know, it's not too soon. I feel like he's not peaking too early. He can still improve, but there's a lot of to look forward to, you know? So he's trending upward, and I don't want to put more pressure on him. He could have a good tournament too, but I don't want to put pressure on him because I don't think he's even 21 yet or 22. He has room to grow. He just looks like such a naturally gifted athlete out there. So I hope that um, I hope that yields him good dividends in not only this tournament but the rest of his career. So you know what? Speaking, we can leave the men's. We can leave the men right where they are right there with uh man Rafa for the win. <laughs> we can leave the we can leave the men right where they are and and stop talking about it on Felix because the bottom half of the draw, as far as I'm concerned, is oh that was the bottom half of the draw. Yes. And we have to mention also T C Pass and Medvedev, you know, those guys are, yeah. are really Google the name. If you're watching this and you don't know who them people are, just Google the name, y'all, and they'll pop up. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's not the tournament is really not about them until they make it about them. I I put it like that. Now if they if if they do well, I'm definitely gonna talk about it on the, the wrap up show and give them their flowers. But as of right now, somebody gotta be Rafa for me to Amen. talk about. <laughs> so on to the women. The marquee names that I wrote down are obviously Serena Williams. Serena Williams I am going to try my best to just make this a footnote and not go in any deeper on it. <laughs> Serena Williams is the number six seed, and she is not ranked number six in the world. Her seeding got bumped up because there are three top players not playing. Those players are one, Naomi Osaka. Talked about that in my last podcast. She pulled out with a hamstring injury after winning the 2020 U.S. Open a couple of weeks ago. The number one player in the world and the defending champion of this tournament, Ashley Barty from Australia. She pulled out due to COVID concerns and scheduling and all that stuff. So, you know, hopefully she's doing what's best for her and her team and her people around her. And then also top-ranked player Bianca Andreescu has pulled out, citing that she won't play the remainder of 2020 season, which really isn't that much left anyway. And she is still dealing with the knee injury that she got in October of last year, so low-key a year ago. She's been, she has not played a professional match, you know, pandemic aside, she has not played a professional match since October of 2019, which raises a few eyebrows. At least it raises mine. It raises mine because one, a knee issue, like we were talking about earlier, a knee issue in tennis is something that should be taken seriously. And if it's not, if the, how do I put this? If her diagnosis or the story around her knee does not look like a positive situation that could have impact on the rest of her career because you basically need knees to be able to operate at the level it takes to win tournaments and remain relevant and be a top player. So I'm interested to see her trajectory looks when she actually hits tennis court again, but she will not be playing the French open. I just had to say that. And Halep, Simona Halep, who is a 2018 French open champion. She is the number one seed. 
She just won in Rome a couple weeks ago. So she, in a way, is the Rafael Nadal of the tournament, like the player to beat. But if you're a Halo fan, sorry. She still, to me, to me, and it's probably just because she beat my fave at Wimbledon last year. Yeah. And that's not that's not just the reason, but it, it's in the reason. Speak your as to why. Yes. <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm giving you my bias before you even listen to the rest of this. <laughs> so understand that I may or may not be a tad biased. And I'm just owning up to it. I'm just owning up to it. You said what you said. <laughs> she, to me, has not proven the ability to go into a tournament, be the favorite, and win it with a period at the end of the statement, you know? Like, even though she's won at the French Open, I still, for whatever reason, struggle to pick her to win matches. I only look at her as the winner after the fact. Like, oh, she won, okay. But like, picking her to go far is tricky because I've done it once before. <laughs> I actually have picked her to win several times in, her, in my career because I didn't always have like a little small vendetta against her. It wasn't always there. <laughs> It was only it was only built when she beat Serena like a dog at Wimbledon last year. Yeah. But before then, you know, she was cool. And now she grunts too much. And I really don't understand where that came from because at one point she was not a grunter. I don't know where she built that or put that into her game, but she'd be grunting after every ball. And at one point she was silent, but whatever. Well, you know, <laughs> science does show that grunting actually helps like that. Yeah. That so it might be a fitting physical girl. To your point, she, I agree. I can always pick her as a favorite, but she's never the overwhelming favorite. I can, it's never, you know for sure she's gonna, it's just not, which is kind of the tone of women's tennis right now, but just in her career. She benefits from that. She's never, she, benefit, she benefits from the tone of there not being, she benefits from Serena not being overwhelmingly ahead of the pack right now. She benefits from that and she benefits from the fact that there's not, like on the men's side, two or three people that are getting to these major finals consistently. So her dodgy form, if you want to say, because sometimes her form can be dodgy or if it's not that, she can be out hit on a court. Like there are players that have a level that I think can exceed hers. The only thing is, her base level is still high enough to beat somebody who's not playing well or like playing their BC level. Like if Serena plays her A level, Halep is probably not going to win playing Halep A level, you know? Mm -hmm. So she benefits from the fact that her level is very consistent. A lot of girls basically have to peak or play their very best against her, which is hard to do for a max of three hours on a tennis court, you know? For sure. So we'll we'll see we'll see how she deals with basically being the favorite and the number one seed. And in my little, because you know I went through and did a little, I told you I did a little quick bracket. I actually have her losing in the second round. I believe Jill Tigerman has been balling. I'm telling you, this girl has been balling. She's been winning matches. Jill Teichman, Jill Teichman has two titles to her name. Both of them are on clay from last season, 2019. And she was the runner-up in Lexington a couple weeks ago, which was the first tournament post-pandemic or post-pandemic shutdown. So she is she can play on clay, and she has a little bit of form under her belt. So I agree with you. That could be tricky if they play in the second round. That could be tricky. I actually have Jill coming through that one. Yeah, she's she's we'll see. winning matches and you're playing well. You know, that stuff is contagious. 
Now her only Achilles heel to a degree is she's only won one Grand Slam match in her career. So that's that you'll probably have to. You lying, you lying to me. She, I, I did. Usually I'm pretty good at keeping up on the stats of players that catch my attention. She's only won one Grand Slam match. One Grand Slam match in her entire. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So she's, <laughs> well, she kind of just burst on the scene in 2019. So I guess it's she, not that interesting. Yeah, she's a, she's a late bloomer. She went, you know, she had to go about it the grinding kind of way, but she's here now. And I yeah. think her game, I, I really like the way I just, she feels confident when I've seen her, she's just looking good. And now would be a great time, you know, having that one. Make that splash. Yeah. Make a splash now. <laughs> it's 2020. Make it, make it count. Right. So I have Joe checking her out. That's my upset special, but um, you know, this is <laughs> really, there's a lot of really good first rounds. Um, Conta Golf, that'll be a good one. Sakari, Tom- oh, Johanna Conta and Golf. When I was thinking about, yeah, Johanna Conta, uh, I can't talk. <laughs> Johanna Conta and Coco Golf. When I looked at that first round match, what I said previously about Felix Ajayaliasim or FAA, I kind of think of the same in regards to Coco Golf. She is just so athletic out there that even if she's not in great form which her results i mean she's 16 years old so i'm saying this very lightly her results since the tournament or since tournaments have come back have not been like amazing she has got to the semifinals of lexington a couple of weeks ago or maybe a little over a month ago now she has got the semifinals but other than that she hasn't done anything that's like ooh, like let me put her in the front page of the magazine but she's also 16 years old so i can't expect her to always be at the top and like I said, similar to Felix, she's so athletic that it doesn't really matter. She could really go out there and give anybody trouble because she is just so naturally gifted and you can see it while you watch her. It's just something that's very apparent when she's on the court, that she's athletic and she can make it work on a drop of a hat. She can make a match hers, you know? For sure. I think her results right now are appropriate. You know, it's just- For a 16 year old, you're absolutely right, yeah. Yeah, she burst on. I mean, she's actually had more success than she's probably should have. And I mean that with all due respect, yeah. but it's, yeah. you just have to be careful. And these teen females, you know, we, the, with my young queen here, my, my concern is you <laughs> get these media blitzes when you beat a Williams sister. Had, had Miss Goff, defeated a then Miss Sharapova in the first round of Wimbledon, it would have not been a headline. I promise you. It wouldn't have been this this buzz, ABC breaking news, that the notifications we got. That wouldn't have happened. So when they do that, that is them signaling to you, hey, you, we want you to be the new token Black girl because you're not as Black as those black girls over there that have been wearing them beads and talking all that shit for all these years. We tired of them, you know? So you just have to be cautious. And I know. want her to let her results just come when they come. But we know they're going to come. And you've already, I mean, she won a tournament as a lucky loser. You know, she, that's, that's. Right. That's yeah, she did. Yeah. You know? She has the, 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 the star power in her is evident to see, but you're absolutely correct. I don't want it to be something where the media, quote unquote, or people that 
talk about the sport, watch the sport, be about the sport, and don't actually play the sport make her or make it hard on her to actually play the sport that she clearly was given a gift to play. So I do not, I personally don't take her losses as anything to worry about, regardless of where those losses are, because at 16 years old, yeah, it's part of the journey. It's just, it just is. She, so if she wins, that's going to be wonderful. And it's probably going to be, you know, a nice footnote on her career or one of the building blocks to her career if she wins. Cause Johanna Conta is a top seed. Mm-hmm. Johanna Conta actually reached the semifinals of this same tournament last year. Yeah, and cool. if she were to lose that match, this is a good point. If she were to lose that match, she probably would be tumbling down the rankings. She might not take a harsh tumble because the way the rankings are set up, they've done certain things because of the pandemic to where you're not losing any points mm-hmm. for like the matches you're playing. You're only gaining them. So in a normal situation, which we're not in, I guess, because 2020 isn't normal, that would definitely be a match to have the hot Cheetos out and watch. <laughs> I haven't used that term yet since I've since we started recording. I haven't used the term hot Cheeto match. I have to work on it. <laughs> but build your brand. We, <laughs> we uh, yes, that she absolutely. Joe is another one, just an enigma, really. You know, hot and cold, hot and cold, but. Last year, her run on clay was just out of nowhere. I mean, she got to the literally out of nowhere. Yeah, the finals of Rabat, the finals of Rome, and then the semifinals of French Open. You know, she just came out of nowhere playing great clay court tennis. But she's another one again when she's confident. You know, her game. I mean, she has a great serve, great ground strokes. You know, when she's really in full flight, she could be a problem. So that if you're listening to this and you have no idea who Johanna Conte is, she's from the uk and she has had a win over venus and serena williams and she's a former top five player just type her name into youtube and if you want to like if you're an avid tennis watcher and you just know coco golf's name just type her name into youtube and just see what she's about that's all because i feel like she's one of those players that needs that little extra push because most people don't know about her still but her results aren't bad like she's been to the semifinals of every major except the U.S. Open, which is not bad. Most tennis players would take that, right? <laughs> Be mightily fine with it, you know? So, interesting matchup in the first round for sure. Remember what I said, what you just said. Nobody really knows about her. See, a bunch of good players, very few stars. You're very, you're very right. And she's in the same section of the draw with Simona Halep, so... Well, that matchup is in the same section of the draw with Simona Halep. So we'll see how that goes. The rest of that little section or quarter. It's a good quarter. Yastrzemska is in there. Vondrasova is in there. Last year's runner-up. There's that. That is. There's a few. You know, they can all play. Play well. You know, and are confident. That's the thing about the women's draw. Like, I'm literally looking at the. I'm looking at this one quarter. And this one quarter could be a draw for any other tournament throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine I'm looking at this quarter, and the, the highest seed is Simona Halep, and the second highest seed is Kiki Burton's, who has made the semifinals of this tournament in 2016 and also plays well on clay. If you don't know who Kiki Burton's is, wouldn't be upset if she won this tournament, but she has not looked good since the pandemic came back. We'll see how she looks in this tournament. She could be a, if she gets to the quarterfinals and so does Halep. They will play each other. But they have way too 
they have so many stars or not stars. What was your what was your verbiage? What was your verbiage? <laughs> That's a lot. Great players, not stars. Good players, but very few stars. <laughs> they have those on the women's side. They do. And you know they're great players. You know they're great players because they've shown it. They have the silverware to show it. They may not have the big one to show it. Like they may not have a grand slam, but we know they can play if you follow tennis and be on your stuff. <laughs> yes, that is. Um, and then a few more, like a uh, Sakari Tomjanovic. That's a tricky one. The all Russian one and Kuznetsova Pavlenchenkova. That'll be a cute little first round. Um, Annette Contevi and Caroline Garcia. That's a heavy that one plays. They play on Contevi and Annette Contevi and Caroline Garcia. Annette Contevi is from Estonia. Caroline Garcia is from France or plays for France. That's going to be an inter- entertaining match because they're not that far apart in my mind in ability level. Not at all. They. That's definitely a tough first round to get if you're either of them. So that is is interesting. They play literally Sunday on Philippe Chatrier, the main center court. That's going to be interesting. I hope. Who do you think is going to come through that? I actually have Garcia in my quarterfinals. So she mm. pulling for her. She Paris has been good to her in her career, really, if you think that she's been a former quarter, she was a quarter finalist, I believe, 2017. You know, she had that breaking match with Sharapova. It was tough for a few years after that. But um, I just feel like she she played a real, um, I think in 2017 it was, I saw her, she played this really good match against Shea Suey that was just one of those matches where I felt like she embraced, like, I'm here at home, like, you know, and this is, I'm going to win this match, like, no matter what, I don't care what, but it was one of those matches where I remember feeling like a player is refusing to lose, and that particular match has stood out to me for her for quite some time, so I think she'll rise to this occasion. She had a great run in the U.S. Open, you know, she beat Pliskova, that was a great win for her, so... You know she's 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 capable. She's dangerous. She's she's won big titles before. So I think I'm I'm pulling for her in that one. I think she, I think this will be this could be another moment for her. So I, I'm gonna pick her. But if Annette came through, it would not be a shot. There's no surprise. This one, whoever wins, just for just to give a little bit of dynamic, I'm gonna pick Contevi to pick that one. Just based on recent form, she's reached a final on clay post pandemic, a smaller tournament, but she did reach the final. And she she also reached the quarterfinal. No, she reached the semifinal of Cincinnati the week before the US Open. Yes, and lost to Osaka. And lost to Osaka. So I think based on form, Contavit is gonna get the edge, but I would not be surprised if Garcia wins it just because she feels comfortable in France. But on the flip side, Playing at home can also be extra pressure because people want you to win and people are yelling your name a little higher. Yeah. So we'll see. Speaking of yelling names, I realized that that matchup is in the same quarter of the draw as Serena Williams, who faces Christy Ahn in the first round, which is a matchup or a rematch of their first round in the U.S. Open like three weeks ago or two weeks ago. To our point that they rig draws. <laughs> But whatever, I'm just not going to go there. But I will say that Serena Williams, I know I touched on her earlier, but I will say that my heart wants her to win this tournament. 
my, my heart wants her to win every tournament she plays <laughs> because I'm that kind of fan of her and I like her. And she's the reason I basically picked up a racket and started watching tennis and enough, and gave me enough confidence to do a show or a podcast like this. So my heart is always going to want to see her win. Does she need to win this? Absolutely not. She's already cemented her place as the GOAT. And that- Could she win this? Could she win this? Yes. Do I think so? I'm, I'm trying to give yes or no answers. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Can you rewind? Could she win this? Can you say that again? What you said about her not having to win this again or anything she else? Doesn't, that she doesn't have to win. She doesn't have to win this tournament or any other tournament she enters for her to legitimize her stature in women's tennis. And I think for some reason, the media, I'm using that phrase again, is trying to build some sort of hump for her that if she doesn't win this number 24th Grand Slam, it somehow delegitimizes her name as Serena Williams. I hate that, so I'm not going to subscribe to that. I think that's a whole bunch of BS. So that's why I was saying she does not have to win this tournament. And if she loses in the first, second, third round, whatever, for me, I'm just going to be happy about the fact that my fave is still playing. That's the way I have to look at it. That's the way I look at it with Venus most of the time, even though I still like the fact or I still kind of crave for them to be competitive more so Venus when I, you know, than Serena. Serena is the higher rank of the two. I crave for them to be competitive, but for me, I'm just happy to be still playing tennis and they still get or are still putting themselves in positions to get the respect that they absolutely deserve, you know? That's, that's you know, that is my mind. That has been my mind of Venus. I don't get Venus and Serena. There was a time when I was a young queen in tennis, really, <laughs> I would be devastated, like tears. Mm-hmm. I would cry, like sigh. We just, we just talked about it in 2015 when Serena was going through oh, the uh, now, career I, calendar slam. I, I was hurt. <laughs> yeah, those those days of emotional, you know, it's just we appreciate them. Every win is just such a big win. And they're when we say a lot of good players and a few stars, when I say a few stars, those are about nine of the 10 stars I'm talking about. <laughs> if she wins, she wins. If she doesn't, she doesn't. I'm, I don't even really want to look at her draw for real just because oh, that helps. You talking about V? No, both of them, actually. I know who uh, Venus plays Schmidlova mm-hmm. in the first round, which is low-key a terrible first round because not only has Schmidlova beaten her at this very same tournament before Schmidlova beat her pre-pandemic in like March mm-hmm. so well I want to be very clear about a few things they played three times and I've actually watched all three of those matches first bottle last they played in Miami in 2014 when Venus had that cute dress and then they played <laughs> and um like you said the French Open later that year and then they played in Monterey and honestly, I mean, yeah, Monterey, 2020. Yeah. Venus, in all in her defense, and you know, I am fair and objective, so I call space fed. I'm not making excuses for nobody, but she was terrible. And Monterey, she was injured. She just it 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 wasn't cute. She was not in shape. I, I actually thought that she was carrying weight at the top of the year, um, but I knew through her vlog, you know, that she had revealed she got injured right before Australia, so she wasn't able to train like she wanted to. So that makes sense. And when you put the dots together, it's like, okay, 
I get it. And you're 30. Well, now she's 40. Shout out to me. Right. Fucking Williams, baby. Boy. Professional tennis at 40 years old. 40. Oh, wait. And wait a minute. Shout out to Serena. We're recording this on Serena's birthday. We I know both of them don't really celebrate birthdays <laughs> like that. But the fact that they are still out there at 39 and 40 mm-hmm. is and I'm just, amazing. And I was it's just amazing. Venus and Serena's worst years were your faves best years think about it <laughs> i just wanted to say around out the other marquee names i didn't get to name drop the other names that are in the draw is ooh, the fact that i was about to forget this girl's first name says so much about her in my mind but <laughs> her name is sophia kennan sophia kennan is number four seed she is also the 2020 australian open champion so she's in the draw so I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, and then also uh Carolina Pliskova, the number two yeah. is at the bottom of the draw, and she's a marquee name, no shade. <laughs> However, I see in searching have she's marquee name searching for her first grand slam, but whatever. Right. <laughs> a lot of good players, <laughs> but very few stars. <laughs> she yes, now that's a tricky, she's down there. With Sloan, we know Sloan can play on clay, former finalist, but she's hot and cold. She won a few matches at the U.S. Open, but I saw she's been, you know, we never know with her, so we'll see what she does. You know, my thoughts on Sloan, I've actually tried to give them thought and make sense of her career trajectory, but... I'm going to just let her play. I, her and Madison Keys, I kind of put in the same boat. When I think about one, I sometimes think about the other and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to let them girls play. Because I think uh, it's hard for me to like really verbalize without coming across super judgmental to both of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? Let, you know what? Cut it. Sloan can play on clay. So can Madison Keys. I'm just bringing her into this conversation. I just think both of them can be stars. I mean, that's been like the theme of our com- the theme of our conversation has been great players, not stars. Unfortunately, both of them fall in the great player category. Sloan is a little bit outside of it, but she pops out of the category and back into it too often, as does Madison Keys, and that goes towards their both of them their consistency. Both of them have the ability to be absolute stars of the game. They just are either missing certain gears in their game or are are unwilling to gear up their game in certain levels. And that's frustrating to me as someone who is all who is always huh, yeah, as someone who is always rooting for black women and black women in America not to make it all political, not to like, you know, make it deep. It's just frustrating for me to like want to stand them so much, but they just don't give me the material to stand often enough, you know? (laughs) They just need to grab a little bit from each other's games in certain aspects. And then then I might be able to like really stand them and like poke my chest out when I talk about them. Right. But well, not really do that. (laughs) I'm a spiteful asshole. I forgot what that bitch said. How are we back? I'm weak. No. I'm weak. I'm so weak. 
Sloan has definitely had a way with her words in the press. You can just Google that if you don't know what we're talking about. Even, I don't want to bash the girls, even though that they give us plenty of material to bash them. Oh, no shade in the I'm not going to do it. Yes. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but that'll be good because the, the good part about that is you know you there's two players who somebody's going to be winning a, a match at a grand slam and sometimes you just need a match to get going you know one to say okay go so hopefully one of them can get a cute little confidence from it speaking of confidence i'm glad you used that word because it's segue into a player that i feel like people are not talking about but could potentially be talking about after this tournament is over. I'm talking about Jennifer Brady. Jennifer Brady yes. was a semifinalist at the U.S. Open. Jennifer Brady also won in Lexington, Kentucky, the first tournament post-pandemic. And she, pre-pandemic, she was giving girls fits then. So she came right back after the, the, she came right back after the pandemic break and kept it going. Her game, I have personally not seen her play on clay, like her playing on clay is not something or an image I have in my mind. <laughs> However, I can make one in my mind because her game is so, her game looks like it would do well on the surface. She plays with so much spin. The ball bounces really high, especially higher on clay. And her draw, she's in the quarter with Sophia Kennan is the highest seed and Arena Sabalenka is the second highest seed. No shade to those ones, but great players, not stars. Sophia Kennan did win a Grand Slam, not taking anything off her plate. She's a great player, same as Sabalenka. Great players, not stars, dot, 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 yet. Yeah, Jen is confident. She's, again, when you're winning matches, you're you're winning. You're you're just it, it's contagious. So you just love. She knows how to win matches. So that is going to serve her well. And as you said, her game should translate well. It's going to be a little bit slower if you look at the first week's forecast in Paris. A lot of rain. Yeah, so, we didn't talk about that. It's going to be raining every day for the first week. Mm -hmm. And so, also didn't talk about the fact. Sorry, Jennifer Brady. We definitely want to give you your shine and go American women's tennis. And we hope you do well. But we didn't touch on the roof. We didn't, we didn't touch on the fact that the French Open has tried to make themselves a little more relevant by giving themselves a roof so that even when the rain happens or just the weather is just not as applicable as it could be to great tennis, they have a roof now. It's funny. I think that roof was the major, major push for them to reschedule the tournament as soon as the pandemic kind of started doing its thing. They were like, we just introduced this roof and we are still probably paying for it. Y'all gonna come here and play some damn tennis. I don't care if it's pandemic, come hell, come high water. Y'all gonna come play tennis under this roof we just got for y'all since y'all didn't talk about us for not having roofs. And they also don't have lights. But I hope, but I think the, I think the roof is a, being accompanied by lights. I'm just saying. It is. Yeah. Since I'm keeping it real, the French Open is probably, well, not probably. Oh, damn, I don't want to be shady. <laughs> the French just had improvements to make and they finally took a major step towards improving it just so happened that they did it during 2020 where shit hit the fan i think that we are i'm trying to be optimistic but i think that we are in for a treat hopefully hopefully you know to say paris is the city of lights and where where you know beauty happens in tennis for me it doesn't really give that vibe and this is just my personal experience or personal view 
it's real like low key like it's not top tier tennis <laughs> in Roland Garros but hopefully this year it trends upward it trends upwards and we can see some good tennis I'll be watching for it I, I, I know you're gonna be watching every day because I know you I know I know how you are <laughs> <laughs> I know how you are. Yeah. I will try my best to watch most of it so that I can have a better appreciation for the French Open, for one. And two, I can give y'all the most accurate reporting that I can because I actually watched it. <laughs> Period. That's what I'm saying. Like, yes. Carry the mic. Think like, yes, this will be, again, this is an abbreviated year. Typically, a player can kind of say, oh, you know, well, at least the grass is coming or at least I know, you know, I was injured on this one, but I can get it next time. Ooh, I just missed this yeah. shot. You know, this match by a shot or two. But this is it. So I think we're going to see a this lot. Is the, this is the last big thing. Yeah. yeah. This and and we have to be honest. We who knows if twenty. You know, I mean, twenty twenty is not over yet, baby. God forbid. But mm-hmm. bubonic clay could be next. <laughs> so you know, twenty twenty one, we could be right back where we started. We just don't know. So I think mm-hmm. players realizing and now understanding that you truly don't know because we see how many tournaments originally were scheduled have been formally canceled for the year now even after the grand slam still are not having tournaments you know that's the big deal so i think players are realizing i don't know what my next chance to compete is so i need to just do this you know while i'm here you make great points and that is why i have you on the show <laughs> you have been a blessing to my ears and i hope you've been a blessing to the people listening to this ears you always are that's exactly why i had to have you on the podcast because like i told you you've been in the vision since wait we're in september the vision for this podcast has been one that's been in my heart for a while but it's been on paper for a couple of months and you've been on the paper vision since then so i appreciate you coming on and giving me your time and giving me your insight and all of the above that makes tennis for me the most watchable sport and i appreciate that i think it's your watchable sport and that we have that in common and that we can make this episode work and probably potential more episodes because i want you to be a friend to the pod (laughs) oh that was so corny that was so corny friend to the damn pod but that's what that's what the lingo is and if i want to be a podcaster child i guess i gotta get with the lingo and get with the shit (laughs) i appreciate it i appreciate your platform all right so I think we got i feel good do you feel good about the french open you feel like you, you got everything off your chest about it you 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 feel like you got a good handle of the draw and what to expect because we can always expect the unexpected now but you you think you got a good handle on it so you know i prefer a wimbledon so i'm used to <laughs> a little bit more different but this ain't the house <laughs> <laughs> i'm used to something a little bit more different we gotta bring our own cups up into establishments like this <laughs> French Open is not the Oscars. We can we can all agree on that. But you know, it's just I understand people want some relief. This, these are tough times. I am weak. Um, I am so weak. <laughs> we I let the people live. Enjoy. Viva la France. Amor <laughs> <laughs> s'il vous plaît. Merci. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. You know, I always appreciate our conversations and heart to hearts. Thank you so much, Najee, for real. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Again, I'm so proud of you. Continue, push on. Your voice, again, I can't express that enough to anybody. Your voice is your most powerful tool. Refuse to be silenced at all times. Period, big dot.
So if you listen to that conversation from top to bottom, from the top, make it drop. That's some good ass conversation. GAC. That was terribly lame and I might just edit it out of the podcast. Clearly, I am tired and delusional and low key. I've been up editing most of the conversation between me and Najee (laughs) to the point where it is the next morning and I am currently watching Venus Williams play her first round match. (laughs) So I just might be a little sleep deprived, but it's all, it's all good. It's, It's all in the name of this podcast and journey I'm on. So that conversation pretty much spoke for itself. So I really don't have that much to say to wrap us up. I think that If you've been rocking with me for the past couple of weeks in the episodes I've been dropping, I am greatly appreciative. Keep doing that. Keep, you know, keep staying on the ride with me. I have some things up my sleeve and some guests that I have on the back burner for some pretty interesting episodes, I think. And after this French Open, me and Najee touched on it, um, especially with it being a pandemic this is pretty much the last hoorah, so to speak, in the tennis or in the sport of tennis for this season. So you, I'm not going nowhere. Even though there's no more tennis, I'm not going nowhere. I'm still going to have plenty to say, plenty to do, and plenty to run it about or plenty to just be me about. So thank you for listening, lending me your ears. Make sure, like I said, to... Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast so I can get some feedback and let, you know, let the feedback sit with me and know how I can improve and, you know, take this podcast to where it needs to be. So I will let you guys go. Thank you for joining me in another episode. And I will see you guys on the next one. Take care. Stay sane. Be blessed. All of that fun stuff.